0: Thanks Ian. Uh, For anyone that doesn't know me, my name is Peter and uh, I'm the evening pastor here but it's always great to get here in the mornings and I just want to thank you for your prayers and support for our family at the moment. As uh, many of you know, my uh, wife Judy is uh, battling her way through a second round of chemo now and um, we're kind of talking about just this morning about how, how do you kind of have some sort of answer, you know, when your hair's starting to fall out, poor thing. And um well, reminded of that verse that says you're out uh your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair or hair of any kind. Um and uh I had to I had to think <laughs> Matt just said Amen. <laughs> uh and it just made it, uh me think, you know, like that that's been her attitude as long as I've known her. I think she's gorgeous. But, you know, she's always wanted to, to um Work on the inside more than the outside in a beautiful way. And I, I really thank uh, God for her. I um, also thank God for all those that have um, blessed us with meals. And I've, I've got a box, if you're one of them, I've got a box full of containers <laughs> with me here today. So I'll try and get round to meet as many of you as I can at the end. Uh, about this, this classic story, one author said, The prodigal son, it's the best story ever penned, or spoken in this case. It taps into so many contrasting human emotions and concerns. There's love, there's faithfulness, there's ambition, there's selfishness, betrayal, deceit, hope, dashed hopes, hitting rock bottom, humility, repentance, mercy, forgiveness, reconciliation, anger, bitterness. It just goes on and on and on. It's such a well-known story. But I think it's not always a well-understood story. And perhaps even less well obeyed. So let's ask God for his help, not to just appreciate it, but to appropriate it in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, please uh, teach our minds and shape our hearts by your word right now, so that our lives may bring glory to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll keep your Bibles open there. When we read well-known passages like this, um, it's easy to skim over and miss important details. Look with me at the first two words. What do they say? Jesus continued. So It's kind of like we've got on a tour bus halfway through we have no, where, no idea where we started. So, so if we just jump back a little bit to the end of chapter 14, Jesus has just explained the cost of discipleship. And then he calls out, right at the end, anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 1 then tells us the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. They had heard the cost of following Jesus. Now they heeded the call to follow Jesus. Praise God that in any crowd, it seems there are always some whose hearts are open to Jesus. Now we might have expected a good response from the religious leaders too. What were they doing? The Pharisees and teachers of the law. Verse 2 tells us they were grumbling. Why? Because Jesus welcomes sinners... And ate with them. Now every society has its more obvious sinners. And you can probably think of certain people in the circles you move in. Jesus welcomed them. Jesus spent time eating with them. And in those days, sharing a meal was a cultural sign of warm acceptance and approval. So Jesus behaviour here is really quite shocking to the Pharisees. And I think it's worth us pausing to consider in in what way could Jesus, the, the perfect son of God, how could he possibly accept and approve of such sinful people? It's a good question, isn't it? Here's the answer. The same way he wants you and me to accept and approve of them. Here's why. Because they are fearfully and wonderfully made by the same God who made us. Together we are made to bear the image of God whether we've repented of our sins or not, whether in relationship with him or not. We bear his image. And because of that, we are called to treat them and all people with great dignity and respect. He loves them. He accepts them and yet... He still calls them to repent. That's what they so desperately need. And I think those two things, uh, people often lean one way or the other. Um, in fact, whole churches and denominations do, I, I think. Uh, so easy, it's easy to just accept and uh, reach out and love. Oh, but we never want to talk about sin. Or, or sometimes on the other extreme, a bit like the Pharisees perhaps, Uh, We're full of rules and regulations against sin. Uh, We're full of condemnation for anyone who bombs out. It's all, you know, rules, but there's no love. Jesus had both sides of the equation. Great love for people, and at the same time, a clear call to repent, turn back to God. Um, I ask myself, it's a good question for all of us, especially as we're moving to this Jesus is mission mission. What am I like with my friends as I relate to them? Well, in these uh, three parables in chapter 15, Jesus is clearly ad- addressing the judgmental attitude of the Pharisees. But of course, there's tax collectors and sinners there gathered around him listening as well. And so he shows them, all of them, God's delight when a sinner repents. And you can see the shape of each of the parables. It kind of goes from lost, found... Celebration. It's not just the pain of sin that leads us to repentance. It's also the love and kindness of God. Now, the first parable, nice little short one, is about a lost sheep that is found, and the punchline is back there in verse 7. If you've got your Bibles open, it says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't, do not need to repent. The second parable is about a lost coin. And the punch line, line is in verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. A coin and a sheep. Uh, but, but what does repentance look like in a person? In this third parable, Jesus shows us in the life of the runaway, the prodigal son. Well, now that we've got some background, let's walk into this parable and see what we can learn. It's got the same basic shape, lost, found, woohoo, celebration at the end. But Jesus adds a twist at the end, the older brother bit. And that's directed fairly and squarely at the Pharisees. So let's have a look. At the movement through this story, Jesus tells a story. There was a, a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, this in fact did sometimes happen, it wasn't very common at all. Um, the son doesn't say why he so desperately wants it, but as soon as the father consents, we see his true colours, don't we? Verse 13. Not long after that, he's out of there. Good, he's, he's shot through, he's got all his things together and he's set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Imagine the Pharisees listening to this bit. What a loser, that younger son. He's despicable. They're like those sinners over there. You walk out, kiddo, you're never coming back. The story continues in verse 14, where two disasters strike him simultaneously. He runs out of money, and there's a severe famine. And the only job he can get, young Jewish boy, is feeding pigs. Oh, the shame! feeding pigs, these animals that are ceremonially unclean. Here he is in a situation where he's, he's going to be permanently unclean before God, feeding pigs, not only that, but he's despised by the people. Look at the end of verse 16. No one gave him anything. They're giving him food to feed to the pigs, but no one gave him anything. The people of that place valued the pigs more highly than him. And I reckon the Pharisees at this point are probably going, you got what you deserve, buddy. You had it coming. What goes round, comes round. Well, fortunately, all is not lost. Because God is sovereign. And as we look back over our lives, so often we can see that he uses our circumstances to bring us closer to him. And so in verse 17, we see a turning point. He came to his senses. Now, before we look at what he does, I want ask a question. Do you think you have to hit rock bottom before turning to God? Like this guy. Many years ago, a young lady uh, from our church gave her testimony. In a nutshell, it was uh, she'd run away from home, a lot like this uh, fella. Um, she'd got caught in the ba- wrong crowd, drugs... Ended up, cut a long story short, she ended up working as a prostitute in Sydney. And it was there that she discovered the grace of God, met Jesus, and turned to follow him. And um, she was now up in Port Macquarie, where we were. Um, it really was a gutter to glory story. Afterwards I was talking to her and I said how amazing it was and how I sometimes wish I had a really awesome testimony like that too and she was mad and she nearly throttled me and she said and I'll never forget it she said I would do anything, anything to have a testimony like you I was so rebuked in my ungrateful heart I thought my life was a bit boring. Growing up in a Christian family, I always tried to follow Jesus. But this young lady, after a life of hurt and confusion, she had discovered that Jesus brings wholeness and purpose and light to a dark life. made me think of that verse you know those who have been forgiven much love much those who have been forgiven little love little the the truth is if we actually stop and think about it every single one of us has been forgiven much every single one of us do we have to hit rock bottom before we turn to God no we don't So my encouragement to all of us is is turn now before uh, you do too much damage by living your own way without reference to God. Or perhaps before you do hit rock bottom like this prodigal with no one and nothing. So what does he do? He makes a plan. Verse 17, he comes to his senses. He says to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Huh, this is what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And you can imagine the Pharisees is there listening to this bit. They're going, serious? You're going to go back? You've got absolutely no place here anymore. Now, if your father sees you, he ought to flog you. And I hope he does. But once again, God is at work. Hunger may have been his motivation, but we can see in his words that the younger son has recognized his problem. I have sinned. And friends, whether we hit rock bottom or not, we need to come to that place of clarity. If we do not see our sin, we will see no need for a saviour. We've already noted that Jesus loves people and he calls them to repent. Well, the first step towards repentance is recognising that we in fact need to change. And so he humbly returns to his father, but things don't quite go as he was expecting. Verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. We get this sense that the the father has been looking, longing, praying, waiting for this moment. And there he sees him in the distance and runs completely against the culture of the day. For a, a man to run like that, let alone to a wayward son. The father was filled with compassion, threw his arms around him and, and kissed him. This is extravagant love, and the language the, in the original language is extravagant language. At this point, it's not just a polite, you know, mm, 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 well, how will they do it? Um, this is like over-the-top, extravagant love to the son who spent all of your superannuation. The son launches into his prepared speech in verse 21, but notice he doesn't even get through it all. He doesn't get to finish. Because the father interrupts in verse 22. Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. How do you think the Pharisees are feeling when they hear that? This is a scandal. The scandal of grace, isn't it? He should have been killed that disgraceful son. Where's the justice? Take him out and kill him. Yeah, you know what? Get rid of him. Crucify him. Well, that's kind of what they would have said a few centuries later. Friends here in this story, Jesus is showing us. What God, our Heavenly Father, is like. He loves us. He seeks us. He draws us to himself. He joyfully, joyfully accepts every sinner who repents. And the reason he can forgive our sin is because it has already been paid for. Jesus death on the cross. At this point I want us to know something that's been notice something that's been going on in the heart of the younger son. You see when he left his home he tried to do it all on his terms. And the fruit of that choice played out. Sin is putting ourselves, our thinking, our plans in place of God's plans. Now, our plans may be obviously stupid, like this younger son. Or, more likely, our plans may be marvellous plans in our own eyes. Maybe even other people around us think that they're marvellous plans too. Either way, a future apart from our Heavenly Father is ultimately devastating. And notice that he tried to return on his terms as well. He had the speech all worked out. He admitted his sin. And he was going to even provide the solution. I'll oh, hire myself as a slave. Now, according to Old Testament law, he should have been killed. But he thought that he would be able to pay for his wrongdoing. You know, in time, that would have just led to pride anyway, wouldn't it? But instead, he was warmly accepted on the Father's terms. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. He was welcomed, not as a servant, but as a son. And his return is joyfully celebrated. Friends, we are only ever accepted by God on his terms. But can I say this? His terms are so much better than any terms we could come up with ourselves. Now the meaning of the parable up to this point is the same really as the first two parables. God, our heavenly Father, joyfully welcomes every sinner who repents. And we could apply this to ourselves in a couple of ways. We could see it as a call to repent to stop running from God, stop doing life according to my plans, turn around and go towards God, head back to God, receive the mercy that he so graciously offers. Uh, Secondly, we could see it as a reminder for us to love sinful people as God loves them and to encourage them, call them, urge them to repent and turn back to God. But we've still got the Pharisees standing at the side of the crowd there, haven't we? Deeply offended at this point. So Jesus just turns up the heat a little more. He knows that they're not just struggling to forgive and love sinners. They're in danger of missing out on God's forgiveness themselves. And that would be eternally fatal. In fact, on another occasion, Jesus warned the Pharisees, That He said, the prostitutes and tax collectors are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. So Jesus adds a little twist to the story just for them. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. There he is working hard for the father. When he came near the house, he heard the music and called one of the servants, asked him what was going on, and he gets the story. Note what goes on immediately In the older brother's heart. Verse 28 The older brother became angry and refused to go in. It's a striking resemblance to the Pharisees, isn't it? They're angry, they're bitter, unforgiving, and will not join Jesus in loving sinners who want to hear his message of hope and eternal salvation. Note what goes on in the father's heart. Same verse. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Friends, no matter how hateful the Pharisees get, God's love is stronger. He loves them too. He wants them to repent, He wants them to come and join the party. Note what then goes on in the older brother's heart. Verse 29. The older brother is full of bitterness and excuses. People who are proud and self-righteous always feel that they're not treated as well as they deserve. He's so bitter that in verse 30 he says, this son of yours. <laughs> he can't even call him his own brother. Note what goes on in the father's heart as he tenderly calls him to Turn and repent. Verse 31, he calls the older son, my son. He affirms who he is. He affirms his status. He reminds the older son of his inheritance. All that I have is yours. But he never backs down from his posture of compassion, forgiveness, and joy towards the younger brother. We had to celebrate And be glad. This is the only right response in a situation like this. And I love how he says, this brother of yours. Doesn't let him get away with it, does he? Gently and yet clearly addressing the heart, the bitter heart of the older brother. Well, I think most of us have a bit of older brother in our hearts. We've been saved by grace and not by works. And yet, when you've been a Christian for quite some time, it's very easy to think that God should somehow hold us in higher esteem. You know, it's hard to stop being the prodigal without turning, at least in part, into the older brother. (laughs) What did the older brother say? All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. We so easily exaggerate our own service of God and we so easily overlook his goodness to us in so many ways. And we're tempted to think that our standing with God is somehow now by our good works and not by his grace. And then we rank ourselves against those around us and become proud and judgmental of sinners down a rung or two or envious of those we think might be above us. If that rings even the smallest bell in your heart, like it does mine, then repent. Repent. Turn back to God and let his grace set your heart free. Learn to love again as God loves. Celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And that's the end of the parable. We actually don't know if the older brother came in. We don't know how the younger brother responded to the father's warm welcome which is pretty clever on jesus part because it kind of leaves it open for us to finish the story in our own hearts what's going on in here how will we respond will we repent and turn back to god like the younger brother Will we repent and celebrate with God and join the party when other sinners come home? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this amazing, amazing window into your heart. Your heart, who just loves. Every person that you've created in your image. Your heart that made it possible for us to return at the cost of your only son. Your heart that seeks those who are lost and welcomes them home. Your heart that seeks your children out when there's a problem with our heart and calls us back, back home. Father, thank you so much for the encouragement and the challenge we've received this morning. Amen.